Welcome to a special edition of the Innovation Engine podcast. As we kick off 2022, I'm delighted to be sitting down with a few of my rockstar three pillar colleagues to discuss trends, challenges, opportunities in 2022. And let me go ahead and introduce who I have with me today. First up, we have Scott Barho. Scott is Three Pillars Vice President of Product Development, leading our global craft and communities, as well as the product strategy and user experience practice. He and I have had the pleasure of working together for a number of years, and Scott has spent more than 20 years working in or leading fast-paced delivery teams, creating and building products that support business objectives. Scott, welcome. <laughs> Thanks, Jennifer. That makes me feel old, but I'm honored to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Not old, just very insightful, my friend. <laughs> Next, we have Margaret Irons. Margaret's our Vice President of Global Marketing and Communications. She's our leader of marketing strategy, communications, and public relations with a deep background in marketing and communications crossing a number of industries. She and I have also had the pleasure of working alongside each other for a number of years, and I learn from her daily. Margaret, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So good to have you. So good to have you part of the conversation. And next up, Jamie Whitaker. She's our newly appointed Chief People Officer. It's wonderful to have her as part of today's conversation. Fun three-pillar fact, Jamie is our most tenured teammate here, beating us all with a whopping 12 years at the company. She oversees our global talent operations and hiring and has worked to build and sustain Three Pillars culture worldwide. Also, I think this might be her first podcast so, Jamie, a very, very warm welcome to you. Thanks, Jennifer. Happy to be here. Great to have you. And last, certainly not least, Kim Mirzimi. You've heard Kim on the podcast with me in the past, interviewing insightful guests such as Jennifer Bisegli, who's the CEO and founder of Venteros, one of the world tech world's most recent unicorns valued at over $1 billion, as well as an interview with Sheila Jordan Honeywell's chief technology and digital officer. Kim is the Senior Vice President of our Commercial Services Portfolio, partnering with clients around the world, such as Backcountry, Siemens, and Rover, to enable new product innovation and development, accelerate time to value, and elevate existing software and digital products that deliver exceptional user experiences and drive revenue for three-pillar clients. Kim, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Jennifer. Good to be back and good, super happy to be working with everyone today. Excited yeah. as we enter 2022. It's a very special podcast because we do, we have everyone together today to really look forward and make some predictions and think through what's happening in the market right now and also think through kind of what 2022 is going to look like. And they're going to be various perspectives, various insights, and let's jump right into some of the questions. Let's get right to it. We're going to do this speed round style. So I'm going to ask each of you a couple of questions. Go ahead and respond with quick takeaway style answers for a community of listeners. Because I know you personally, and I know that you're not shy, today's episode is conversational in nature. So feel free to enter the conversation at any time. Scott, I'm going to start with you. When it comes to product design and development, what are your takeaways for leaders? Actually, today, I have someone shared a piece with me from Adam Grant, who I, I love listening to. He's an organizational uh, psychologist and, and frequent, frequent speaker and has his own podcast and so forth. And he talked about a humble narcissist as a really effective leader. 
Now, when I heard narcissist, I, I immediately was like, oh gosh, this can't be good. But the but the point that he had was was perfect. And I think it kind of encapsulates what I what I see the best leaders and product companies doing, which is, you know, they have a they have a vision for what success looks like and what they're going after and what their mission is, but they're also humble enough to take in insights and new information as it comes. They're they're not, they want to surround themselves with people who will challenge them, who are digging for those insights that are going to make their their visions come alive. And because a lot of times, you know, while while you know CEOs and leaders have a vision, it typically the most successful version of that vision is a little bit different than what they imagine what's in their head. And so you 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 really want to pull from the and treat it like a a journey of discovery rather than an execution. What I think is particularly challenging about that to be fair to leaders is that on the investor side of the house, they are selling their vision and saying, "All I need is money to make this happen." And and I think that that's that's the trap, right? Is you you on the investor side, you need to say, "I've got it all figured out. I've got the inside. I've got the corner on this. I'm ready to go. If you just give me the money, we're going to make this happen." And and I think that then leads them into the trap of like, "I just need to surround myself with people who are going to make this happen." When in reality, what you need to do is engage your users and learn because there's a lot that you don't know at that point. So I think that's that's one really really key distinguishing uh, characteristic that I see in successful product leaders and, and less successful ones. Absolutely, it's a it's a tightrope that they walk for sure, and that's a great description. So when you mention success, what are the measurements of success, and how do you know? Right? How do those investors? How do those product leaders? How do they know if a product is succeeding? I think that that's a really tricky question to answer. One of the the stories that I love to tell in this regard is is, is the Facebook versus MySpace because it was it's such a big everyone knows Facebook. For anyone who was around then, and we all remember MySpace as well. MySpace was the dominant player, and then Facebook with this plucky uh, little app that some kid from Harvard and didn't finish school and and launched. And now face, Facebook is ubiquitous and, and nobody born after a certain year remembers MySpace. And one of the things that I, I really stood out to me as a product person during that time, and there's a lot of versions of, of why Facebook beat MySpace, but the version of it that, that I gravitate to is, is that MySpace talked all about new registrations, that how many new people they could sign up. And Facebook refused to publish those numbers. Zuckerberg said, nope, I'm not interested in how many people sign up. I'm interested in how many people stay and use our product and love our product the way that I love our product. And so he focused on a metric that frankly was was pretty new at the time, monthly active users. That's what he could, because he wanted people to love his product and then to use it. He's like, this doesn't do us any good if they sign up and then leave. Um, and he was, he was right. I mean, what a, what a way to build a culture. What a way to, to, to really drive the company in a, in a good direction. You know, I'll, Contrast that with MySpace. MySpace was giving the market what they wanted, right? They, and they were blowing it up. They were big. They were so big. People don't remember this. They were actually bigger than Google. Google was saying, we have to go to MySpace and be relevant in MySpace because that is the dominant internet property. And that's how dominant they were and, and how far they have fallen in such a rapid time. So I love to tell that story because I think it points out that picking the right metric can be really, really important. Picking the wrong one can be really undermining to where you're trying to go. And frankly, it it, it depends on the product, the market, and the space and where you're trying to, trying to get to. Yeah. Can you share three to four specific takeaways from your past and your experience, as well as in 2022 that, that you're seeing, just kind of in a day and age where Agile rules, what are the main takeaways and what are the differentiators for 3Pillar? So, you know, we, we, we obviously wrote the book on product mindset, so I'll talk about that. I, I have a little bit of a different uh, lens on that just because of my experiences. But I, I think when you can 
you know, it comes back to some of the things that I've already talked about. What is the mission? Where are we trying to go? And how do we onboard all the people that are going to contribute to this product at all levels, uh, in all ways? How do we onboard them to that mission and then invite them to participate in it? They're going to get to shape the product in small ways. We, we, we tend not to think about the little things like the moment that a, that a quality assurance tester says, I'm done testing, this is good enough. That when you determine that moment is a judgment call, there's obviously the requirements of the job, but then there's like, oh, you might want to try something different, or maybe you think this feature is particularly relevant to the users. And so you push it a little bit harder, or you try another browser or another way of interacting with that feature. You know, those are all judgment calls, and, and our people are making those calls. Everyone who touches your product is making calls all the time. And so how you onboard them onto the mission, I think, is really, really important. And, and that's one of the hidden gems of the product mindset is that it puts the mission at the, at the core of what we do, right right front and center. It doesn't matter what job you do on the team, you need to have that product mindset and, and bring your humanity, your curiosity, your courage, and your judgment to, to the product. And, and that is a distinguishing feature of great products versus mediocre products. Another thing that I think is really important is, is, is what I call a culture of craftsmanship. And this is something that I'm very proud of finding. I, I uncovered it at 3Pillar. I wish I could take credit for building it, but I can't. We really have an amazing community of craftspeople. And there was a lot of, cra- of grassroots-driven interest in craft when I came to 3Pillar. And I, I've spent a lot of my time here encouraging that and trying to fuel that passion for craft. And when we think about that, craftsmanship is really about a, an intrinsic commitment to quality. And so again, that judgment, like I want to build things the right way. I want them to be used. I want them to be valuable. And when you bring that personal commitment to, to a team setting, and then you bring it to also the respect for all the crafts that it takes to build a great product, whether it's UX or product or front-end engineering or back-end engineering or QA, frankly, we need all those things to work well. So that we can ship our product, and that's that's one of the things I think that really sets through Pillar apart from our competitors. We have a remarkable, a remarkable passion for craftsmanship throughout the throughout the company, um, and it it, it shows. It sh- our clients can feel it. You know, when you get people committed to your mission, every bit as committed to your mission as your your full time employees, your direct employees, and they they can show off uh, amazing skill and and really root for each other to to push beyond their own limits. That really creates kind of a magical setting to build products. Yeah. So you talk about the product mindset, the culture of craftsmanship, and you sometimes talk about a third, a third differentiator. Yeah. So another one is, I mean, I, I've, I've been, I feel like I've been blessed throughout my career to work with really great people, but the caliber of talent at Three Pillar is remarkable. And you know, having seen, I, I have worked with some competitors before, and I've and I've worked with a few exceptional individuals at those competitors. But it was usually like one or two really good people surrounded by a lot of people who really didn't, they just really didn't care about my product. And they weren't really, they, they didn't, weren't at the, the level that our folks are um, here at Three Pillar. And it, it's really stunning. I mean, I, you know, now I have the, uh, the, the honor of leading our UX and, and product practice. And frankly, all the product managers that work on my team would, you know, outrun me and my former self and, and my previous roles as a product manager many times. And that the caliber of user experience people is, just I've never worked with people of this caliber. Really, really remarkable. So I, I think that's another thing that there's a lot of competitors that hire a few seniors or a few people that stand out and then really try to leverage them with a lot of a lot of junior talent and surround them with with that junior talent. And uh, I think we do a really good job of balancing it. We have tough standards. We're fair, but 
but tough. And Scott, you and I spent a lot of time talking about this, but it's two things and they relate back to your second point around craftsmanship is an appreciation for the craft of the other team members, right? They deeply respect that it's not just an engineer that makes a great product, but also a UX designer, a product manager, great product practitioners, and that they come together as one team to drive those results. And that gets back to our core purpose. And what we believe in is that a team can do something incredible together, not just a bunch of individual players. Absolutely. Now, yeah. a lot of great individuals are not going to get you very far, but <laughs> row the boat in one direction, you can get somewhere. And actually having Jamie come into the conversation as chief people officer, you know, people are are critical, right? They're everything to us. Retention's a top priority for 2022. And what are your three takeaways for leaders as we retain talent for the next year? What are some differentiators that you see? coming out of three pillars. And so you have some ideas around trends in the market, maybe top three trends in the market that you're seeing around people and talent. Yeah, Scott and I spend a lot of time talking about this, Margaret and I as well. And Kim too, because it matters a lot for serving our incredible clients. To kind of start off with what we're seeing in the market, I don't think we're unique at all in this, but a couple of things that we're seeing first and foremost is that every great candidate out there in the market, especially in the technical space, By the time you get to them, they have two to three offers and you're competing against people that you haven't competed against before and you're competing against offers that haven't been there before. So you have to figure out how to streamline your process, but make sure that you don't sacrifice quality and culture fit. And that's been something that we've been working on as as an organization is how do we make sure we streamline our process so that we're not in as competitive of a situation, but that we don't sacrifice quality or culture fit. The other thing that we're seeing is companies coming and offering just exorbitant salaries. And for Three Pillar, Scott and I also talk a lot about this. We are a missionary culture, not a mercenary culture. And so what we want is people that are here for something much bigger than a paycheck, um, not here for just the paycheck with the cash at the end of the day. And so you have to differentiate on something besides compensation. And so while we have to continuously reassess are we paying a fair market wage? We also have to make sure that we have that unique employee value proposition that differentiates us against our peer set. The other thing we're seeing a lot of is just engagement in the first year of somebody's tenure. Many of us have been from home for almost two years now. And how do you connect with your new team members when they've joined in a virtual environment, right? You got to go and meet people in previous lives and spend time in an office getting to know them at a personal level, and you just don't have that connection anymore. And so you have to find ways to engage with people in a virtual environment. And that's been challenging. I think every business has struggled with that. But it's how do you find unique times to get together in safe ways, but also engage with them in a virtual way where you actually care and are compassionate about the human being on the other side of the screen or in the cases you can get in person. And so those are the the couple of things that we're seeing. I think for any, especially in the technical space organization out there, they have to continuously, like I said, reassess the baseline. What are we looking at from a compensation perspective, perspective, a benefits perspective? How do we make sure that we're competing and that we're not just competing on that, but that we have that unique employee value proposition? At Three Pillar, it's about our culture. Scott talked a little bit about it. It's about that culture of craftsmanship. It's about the culture of values. It's about our culture of a high-performing team. How do we have marketable, market-facing experience that our employees love and want to be a part of? And then it's, again, just about connection. So I, I'd share those things, and hopefully that's, that's helpful. Very helpful. How about the differentiators? Scott mentioned a few. What are differentiators from your perspective? For three-pillar or for... For three-pillar... 
for how we attract and retain the best of the best? Yeah. So when we talk about our employee value proposition at Three Pillar, we talk about a number of different things. But first is our culture offer. For us, it's that we believe in the intrinsic dignity of each and every single human being, that we focus on helping them to bring their unique talents to bear. And how do we help each individual flourish as an individual, a person, and a professional? And I think that's really, really key, especially in this world. Um, We know that knowledge workers don't want to come and just cash a paycheck. They want to have an impact and they want to come to a place where they have meaning and value. And so for us, it's really a, it's a culture and it's an employee value proposition built on those fundamentals of culture. The other thing that I think most companies um, are focusing on now, but that we've had an intent focus on is well-being. So how do you take care of that professional, but also the person? It's been a hard two years for most of us, whether that's mental well-being, physical well-being, social well-being, but how do you provide a forum for people to be able to share that in a way that's comfortable and that allows them to, like I said, be a person and a professional. And so I think that's really different at Three Pillar. And it's something that's almost been natural for us because it's just been ingrained in our culture since day one. And then I think the third one, you have to have exciting work, right? People want to come and try new things and do different things. And The people that we hire are incredible technical talent, the best of the best, Scott was talking about it, but they want to come and they want to do great work where they're partners to our clients and where they can have a say and have an input and they're sought for their expertise. And so really making sure that they have an ability to put those talents to bear. It's so important. Culture work, you know, working on and focusing on the holistic well-being. And you're right, that's not something that just because of COVID or just because of the hybrid workforce that that we as a company started. That's something that you and the entire company has been incredibly passionate about for years and years. And then our work, right? I, I love those three and how you captured them. Well, I was just reading over the break, I was reading something that really caught my eye because it resonated with me so much, which is it's so interesting how if we try to pursue happiness, we it tends to elude us. But if we pursue meaning and meaning and and for us in this context is meaningful work or meaning in our work, we're much more likely to find happiness. And part of that is because we take the focus away from ourselves and into something else and, and something that's that's with other people. And and this is what I think uh, Three Pillar does exceptionally well. I think because of the mission, because of the product mindset, because of the team-based culture, you know, those things conspire together to create an environment where you can feel in- incredibly rewarded for your for what you give. Um, you get back in spades, and and I think that's a that's a I mean, it's kind of a different way of saying exactly what Jamie was saying. But that 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 juxtaposition of happiness and meaning, I, I found really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Margaret, I wanted to ask you a couple of questions and it, it's it's perfectly timed after speaking with and hearing some of Scott's thoughts and also hearing some of Jamie's thoughts. And this is, it's a busy market, right? To attract talent, to bring new team members onto the team and also talk about who we are, how we approach product and um, more about Three Pillar as the company, as well as the people within the company. So in a busy market, how do you talk about and how do you help get our message out? And in particular, what role do technologies play in today's marketing? And what do you see as three trends in the market? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> one question, but you know, seven different parts. So let me see if I can try and chip away at that. The, you know, what Scott and Jamie talked about, you know, is so relevant to the work that that our team does in the marketing side because we 
the way that I look at it, we have two responsibilities, right? We have the the recruitment side, right? We need to push three pillar. You know, we are a services business, right? So our people are our product. And so we need to make sure that those craftspeople that Scott talked about who are passionate, who are mercenaries, not missionaries, right? Like those people need to come on board or missionaries, not mercenaries. I mean, Hopefully they're missionaries. <laughs> yeah, missionaries, not mercenaries. <laughs> Got to mix up. Um, but those, you know, we're getting the right kind of people to to come work at Three Pillar, right? So it's really important for us to communicate to, to the hiring market, right? What we're about, how we're different, the, the value of the culture that, you know, Jamie so eloquently talked about, you know, the way that we work, our product mindset, other things. So we have that huge responsibility. And then we also have the responsibility to communicate to the market about what we do, right? And that's, you know, that's Kim's side of the house, right? That's the sales side of the house so that we can get great clients for those new people to work on. And so it's a really interesting, you know, sort of problem set that we tackle each day in in our marketing team. And, you know, what's so interesting about the marketing landscape right now is, you know, and I think it's probably, you know, pervasive in a lot of a lot of uh, other other industries, but the market is super fragmented for technology. There's more and more channels. There are more and more opportunities for for engagement, you know, old school tried and true methods like email or tweeting at someone. They're just not working. And so there is this additional emphasis that has to be placed on how do you stand out, right? And how do you pick a path that's going to allow us to showcase ourselves, right? Both on the client side and the employee side in a different light where people can actually engage with our brand, right? Because the technology solutions in the marketing tech stack, I mean, you should see there's a placemat that's sort of running around. I think it's from Gartner's, you know, one of those. And, you know, the font is tiny and all the, I mean, you can't even see what the logos are because there's so many different options for people to engage. And, you know, as a marketer, we're also wading through all of those offerings and trying to figure out which one, you know, they're all offered as like the best, you know, silver bullet solution that's going to just totally... (laughs) Exactly. Congratulations. This tech, this one technology is all you need to make all your marketing dreams come true. And then you look at the competition and there's just so many. And so we have to be really thoughtful about our strategy and match that to, you know, what we're trying to do technologically and make sure that, you know, we're making smart choices because we just can't be all things to all people. We have to, we have to pick and choose. So that's a huge, um, huge trend in the market, I would think. I love that too, Margaret. I think because we have to be intentional, right? One of the hardest lessons that I learned was, no, I'm going to do three or four things really well. And I remember David DeWolf, our CEO, saying to me, no, you will not. You will do one or two things really well. And I had to really be intentionally focused on it. It was one of the hardest things I ever did. And I agree with you. And it flows in, you know, how we go to market, it flows back as well to the ultimate delivery to customers, how well we're delivering. We cannot, we just cannot simply be all things to all people. So really knowing who you are and what what you can deliver and what you can deliver well is is will always I think continue to be a hard lesson, but I think one we do well pretty well here, and there's always room for improvement. But I, I think it flows across so many different parts of the organization. It is it is imperative that we all keep that in mind from a leadership perspective. It's so true, and you know I think the the hardest thing you know that we we colleagues here all have a very similar. We're we're going to go above and beyond. We're very passionate about three pillar. We're passionate about our team. And so the whole notion of leaving an option on the table, like we have to be comfortable with leaving an option, leaving a technology, leaving a solution, leaving an event, leaving a path, right? We have to say, no, we know that Facebook or Meta, Meta exists, but we're not going to do that. 
right? Or we know that TikTok is an emerging channel, but, you know, and we're going to put all of our eggs in that basket. You know, we have to be, we have to be able to take calculated risks and be focused. So it's, it's a big one. And, you know, for other trends, I mean, I think that's a huge one, you know, from a marketing perspective, content is still king, right? And, and it's a weird dynamic, but remote work, remote work is here to stay, right? I think, you know, we, We've seen in the pandemic that people are, you know, have been forced to their corners. And I think there's an increasing urge for people to kind of come back. But I don't know that it will ever be in the same nine to five office, 40 hours a week. You know, that model was actually set up to uh, help stabilize the manufacturing industry, right? When they were manufacturing cars in the turn of the 20th century. So, you know, the idea that, you know, the model that worked for an industry that had no computers, no technology, no internet, no cell phones is still relevant, I think is, you know, we're going to see that shake out. And that makes the content piece really important because the content is how we're reaching people and we have to reach people where they are. So we have to reach people in their cycle, in their mind, with address their problems wherever they are. And you can't just go to an event anymore or, you know, host a, host a dinner party, right? The old tried and true. I mean, I think it will come back eventually, but for the time being, we got to be really, really sharp on our content because our targets, right? The people we're trying to talk to are just all over the place. They're, they've been dispersed across the globe. And so it's a really interesting sort of one-two punch about, about, you know, how remote work is influencing both, you know, how we market and, the ways that we market and the way that we get into people's minds. And so that focus on content and making sure you're relevant, making sure we're focused is a really, is a really big one. And then the final one I would say is privacy and GDPR and all the, you know, we're seeing that happen in real time. And that's definitely going to have an impact on how we, and how we market in the future and how everybody markets in the future. And we saw it in England, you know, and in Europe happen sort of at, at one blast. And I think it'll go state by state in the United States, which is, you know, more complicated. So there's lots that's going to happen this year. I think. Yeah. yeah that's a good well, one thing I wanted to, uh, to build on Margaret, I don't think I've said this to you, but I've, I've said it to others, which is, I mean, the challenge for, for selling us are, are selling three pillar to both clients and, and future employees or future clients and future employees is that it's a faith-based sale. And we are trying to sell them oftentimes something different than what they think they want, right? So, you know, on the employee side, you know, hey, I want a bigger title, I want more money, but you probably really want meaningful work. But that's not what you're out there necessarily looking for. And clients, I want a particular technology, I want people who can burn down my backlog. Yeah, but what if we you give you a team that would make your product better than you currently can imagine it being? So it really is challenging, I think, to to sell when you're trying to sell something different than what they're what they're Googling for. Right. Um, well, you have to create trust in that sale. So we've got to find a way at the very, from the very onset of the, you know, the engagement, the relationship, right? The very open of the email or engagement with the ad or whatever the thing is, webinar, we have to create trust right away. And, and you do have to have the trust of the client because they're basically putting their fate in your hands and saying how okay, help, help bring me along, make me better, stronger. And so from that very tipping point into that conversation, all the way through the engagement, you have to have that trust and hold it. And, and trust is, you know, you have to earn it. Uh, You can't, you don't, you don't just get it right away. You know, I think that's a real, 
it, it's a real challenge. I mean, an interesting one, but a real challenge for how do we make sure that everything we're doing is creating that that trust. And so that dovetails nicely into to Kim's role as a senior vice president of the commercial portfolio and interacting with our clients on a day-to-day basis, right? And in that faith-based sale and conversations that you're hosting. As a portfolio leader, Kim, what would you say are the top three trends that you're seeing overall? And then we hear a lot about, and we haven't talked too, too much about it today. And I really want you to focus in on, and because you talk a lot about it and our clients are focused on, on data. So what are the market trends you're seeing, whether they relate to data or not, but what are those market trends that you're seeing? Yeah, sure, Jennifer. Happy to talk about it. I'm actually going to, I want to dive in here and I want to talk about a couple trends and and I want to also talk about uh, some observations. So I I think, because I think all three are important. So what we see in data, what is data is everywhere. It's Kleenex. Data is Kleenex now almost. And so it, it is and will continue to remain an imperative. Rings true across almost all of our customer segments and industries, no matter what portfolio, no matter who we're servicing. And so a couple of the trends that I, I, I see is obviously data-driven customer experience. You heard Scott talk about this earlier, right? Let's just not make assumptions. And assumptions is going to be a theme here. You'll hear from me to the good, to the bad. You know, how do businesses collect and analyze data to provide customers and, you know, to provide their customers and other businesses with worthwhile and valuable experience, whether that's B2C, B2B, how do they collect and analyze data to provide actionable insights and and value opportunity to those businesses and their customers? This could be in retail, cutting down on friction and hassle within e-commerce. It could mean more user-friendly and insightful interfaces from a cybersecurity perspective. How are we using the tools in a meaningful way to get to the outcome that we desire as a user, frictionless, with ease, ease of use, um, and intuitiveness. The the data part of this really feeds and continuously feeds into having to manage very thoughtful and intentional, and ultimately, hopefully successful, research and design. What does it look like? How do we understand what we should be doing or could be doing? And then how do we go and design for that to get the most value out of the data, right? Data to me is like, I'm going to say it's a big cloud and it's really hard to parse that out. So how are we going to parse that out and provide customers the ultimate customer experience in whatever the data is that's bringing that? And I I think that's, it's a huge challenge to overcome. I think, which moves me kind of into more digital interaction. I think the other the other trend that I'm seeing is, and I believe that it will continue to increase, is digital interaction. But digital interaction is everywhere, and it's it's getting to be even more everywhere. So our interactions, whether this is personal or with business, they're becoming more increasingly digital, whether we're talking to a chatbot or I'm going in to do a virtual visit through my chart for my son, contactless payments, and, and even now we're seeing cashierless convenience. Because of all of these aspects of our own engagement, customer engagement, business engagement, has to be analyzed and measured to really gain new and different and morphing insights, right? Into how processes can be made more expedient and and really, I'm going to say more enjoyable, right? More enjoyable from a consumer perspective, more enjoyable from a business perspective. If I'm an administrator and I have to use, you know, I have to continue to interact digitally with said product, 
I want to make sure that I'm having a good experience. My, my job or someone's safety could depend on that, right? So interactions really becoming more digital and expansive. And what does that mean? And how do you provide a really good customer experience around that? I think the third piece is, is an observation and really a cautionary tale. And I wanted to kind of bring it in here because we talk about data and I said, data is a big cloud. And I, I picture the big cartoon cloud above some one of the cartoon characters heads with the question marks in it, right? We've all seen that. I think it's important that, you know, we understand and what we're seeing in the market is what I'm going to refer to as data speak. And, and as, as companies continue to, to jump in and go down the road of digital, are we speaking the same language? Are we, you, all of us on this call, a CEO, a CTO, a, a marketing person, are we speaking the same data language? Because I, I can tell you the observation, you know, we see all kinds of corporate roles and every, there's, there's a lot of efforts to help with this, right? We have chief data officer, we have chief digital officer, we have, what else we have? Chief data evangelist, chief data literacy officer is quite an interesting one that I came across uh, a recent Forbes article. Are we speaking the same language? Are they helping to facilitate that? Is the CEO speaking the same data language as the workers who actually support the data initiative in their company? The question marks are above my head because I think even at Three Pillar, when we go out as data consultants and talk to our clients and even their our clients' clients and users, people may not and typically are not speaking the same language. So data spoken at, at we have found in our experience, in my experience, data spoken at very different levels, different vantage points and maturity scales. So cautionary tale here, caution and careful approaches are needed when we do engage. Scott, I, I see you kind of nodding. I, I'm sure you have something to add here. It, it's a well, tough I, one. I, I just couldn't agree with you more. And, and, and it's interesting. I, since I've spent my career on the, the buyer side of the house and product companies building products, twice I was asked to build data platforms without any idea where the value was going to be. They were just like, just build the platform and we'll figure it out. And I'm like, well, that's not exactly how this the recipe um, for disaster. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I, I can spend a ton of your money. That's not a problem. I'm more like that's I like my job. And I wound up spending a lot of money building platforms that didn't actually have much gold in them. And and I think the product mindset actually gives us a wonderful way out that I didn't I never it never really occurred to me in those roles to to slice it this way, but to go after targeted value propositions, targeted value. Like I think our data can be useful in this way and can can solve a, a problem that someone will pay us for or will make us stickier or whatever the metric is that you're going after. But go after a thinner, thinner slice. Um, don't go after the whole pie. Go after one slice, prove it to yourself. And then you can start to optimize the infrastructure and so forth. All too often, we see clients that come to us and say, I want a data lake. No, you don't. Nobody wants a data lake. You know, that's a, that's a liability. You know what you want is something is value. And so let us go after a value question with you. You can do it thin. You can do it really lightweight. You can you can analyze your data, answer some questions, and see whether or not your clients would be willing to pay pay for the answers to those questions. And that's what you really want to go after. And that would that takes a lot of that because there is a lot of buzzword bingo going on around data and how great data is. And and there's got you know our investors are out there saying there's got to be money in your data somewhere. And it's like, sure, but if we don't have a hypothesis, then we're really 
I mean, are we really just going to boil the ocean and see right. what pops up? One of the things we're seeing, at least from you know the, the marketing engagements that I know in the sales side of house, is that you know people are coming to us even with these data questions, not knowing, saying like, I want a data lake, I want data science, I want AI, I want ML, I want this, the, all these great things, and it, you look at it and you're like, oh, wait a second. You, your data isn't even structured in a way that you could do anything. So the the request is well ahead of where the business is and what it can do. So it's sort of like, you know, you're trying to paint the front door without building the foundation of the house, you know? And I think we're, we're seeing a lot of that coming through um, in our, in our client engagements and, and responding to a lot of it in our content as well. I couldn't agree more with you, Margaret. The market is filled with, just as you mentioned, kind of painting the front door without building the structure of the house or without, to be honest, even designing the structure of the house and just coming forward without any knowledge about what is it that they're really trying to drive? What's the business outcome they're trying to drive? What are they trying? Everyone's caught up in, you know, a lot of executives get caught up in, we need to be using AI. What is machine learning? Let's do, let's do machine learning. And you think, Whoa, 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 time out. <laughs> what are you trying to achieve? Right, Where exactly. Is the data today, as Scott mentioned, what does the data even show? Where are the golden nuggets within your data? All of those questions that across the industry, across industries, we have seen people jump, like you said, two and three steps ahead before they actually answer what is a hard question. It is not easy to answer that question. It has, it's critical that those questions are answered first before you make any of those other decisions. And it's fascinating that in marketing, in product, in commercial, with our commercial efforts through Kim, that we're all seeing it right across all of those industries. And I wonder, Kim and Margaret and Scott as well, are there other things in the market? Are there other happenings? Are there other trends in the market that we take for granted? Because we see it, right? We're building 200 give products at any given time, our company is. So we see these trends, we see the roadblocks, we see the challenges. We also see the really creative ways to solve and get those products driving revenue and engagement, either direct or indirect. Are there other, are there other trends in the market that we take for granted that we see often and that that we wish others in again across industry saw and were aware of one of the things that i'm really focused on right now is is getting the basics and i know that it's not sexy right it's not the stuff that's going to grab headlines this isn't clickbait but being able to build modern products in a in a modern fashion is actually a it's a discipline it is a craft it's a multidisciplinary craft it requires an investment. You know, one of one of the best you know metaphors I, I ever got to see personally was someone putting the roof on a house and they had four hours to do it. And they spent two hours of the four hours building scaffolding because that then allowed them to put the entire roof down in two hours. If they had not built the scaffolding, it would have taken many more than than the four hours we had. And I was just I was just amazed at this that we would spend half of the available time building scaffolding. But it was the thing that made it possible for us to get the job done in the amount of time that we had. And, and I think modern product development requires that. You have to build the, the habits, the mechanisms and so forth in order to get qual ongoing quality. Products are built over time. And, and oftentimes we think of products as fixed things, but they are built over time. They, we take in new information, we, we deliver new features. And so that, that scaffolding and getting that right, building a culture of curiosity, one that's hunting for insights around users. Why do users use? Why do buyers buy? Why do users stay? Why do, why do buyers stay? Um, 
you know, those are really, really important to understand. And that, that requires a recursive culture and, and scaffolding and machinery and, and so forth. So I, I think those things are really important. And I still think that there's the majority of technology that is deployed in the, out there in the world needs that still. That is actually where the hugest opportunities are. It's not in these cool uh, niche texts that we talk about the most because they're they're cool and they're, it's in the boring stuff and getting it right. So I, I, I that, that's a lot of my focus lately is getting the little things right, even though there's really cool shiny objects out there like microservices and yeah. AI and yeah. ML and cloud. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you, Scott. I, I love what you just said. And, and I, I love it because we we really lean in very intentionally on the why. Why, right? We just talked about that. I want to build a data lake. Why? <laughs> you know, let's understand the why and the how. And I think a lot of, you know, a lot of what we see is our clients, and we talked about early, make a lot of assumptions. They don't know the why or can't articulate the why in a business representation. And they're not sure how they can they can do the how. And so we can be the commonplace firm that says, oh, you want to build a data lake? We're great at that. We can go do that. Or we can say, why do you want to build a data lake? What, what is that going to, how far is that going to get you? And what is the outcome you're going to recognize or realize from that? And so really teaching, at least from my lens, right, from a commercial lens, we should never be the ones that just say, sure, let's go. I'll do anything you want, right? That is not what Three Pillar brings to the table. We can build a really great, very unsuccessful product if we do that. And so that is a huge differentiator of three pillar is asking those questions, pulling the thread, not just on the surface, but deep and across many different stakeholders. And I think that's what elevates us to make sure we're building you a really good proper product, a right product that's going to get you somewhere. That is why we're highly consultative. That is why we are very as intentional as we are from a, a commercial perspective, a delivery perspective. Scott, your folks in product, Margaret, marketing, here's what we will and will not do. Here's what we can do and what we probably don't, you don't want us for. I think those are, are huge. And I think again, back to, and I'll close it out because I know we're getting on time or I'll close my battle out. Scott, that's what you said is the product mindset. That's how we think here. That's what we've been taught and ingrained to do and how to approach our clients as a thought leader, as a consultative partner, right? As a strategist. And I think that that's what we have to continue, continue doing and continue, Margaret, letting the world know about. Absolutely. Um, that's such a great way to round out the conversation. Margaret, Scott, Jamie, Kim, I am so proud to call you my colleagues and to have the, just always feel so blessed to work alongside you. You're, you're very generous with your knowledge and you always make me smarter and you make the community and the industry smarter. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your thoughts about 2022 and kind of what you're seeing now and then also what, what we can expect and what you believe we can expect to see in the rest of the year. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your knowledge share. Thank you for having us. Thank you, everybody. Happy 2022. Take care. This has been an episode of The Innovation Engine, a podcast from Three Pillar Global. If you have questions, comments, or guest suggestions, email us at info at threepillarglobal.com. At